had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved them. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is God's word. You may be seated. Keep your Bibles open to John chapter 11. You'll find a sermon outline inside of the announcement sheet that you can use as, if you're visiting with us, that you can use as we're going through this study of, of John 11. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we pray that you give us eyes that see and ears that hear. For we want to, to be able to see this text and, and to hear it in, in such a way, Father, that, that all of the different levels and the dimensions of truth that are presented in this act, this, this event, this, this moment in history, Father, that is real and true, that it penetrates all of the, um, all of the walls that we uh, sometimes knowingly put up to your word penetrating into the deepest, most part, the innermost part of our being. What we pray for, Father, is for this to be an honest hearing and learning and to make all of the, the, the requisite changes that this text calls us to make in this life in order to be more faithful to the call that we have received in Christ Jesus. So to this end, Father, we, we pray that you will give us these kinds of eyes and these kinds of ears and to bless us in this study. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I want to take you to the finish line of the Gospel of John. Last chapter, chapter 21. Last verse, chapter 25. John says that Jesus did all kinds of, of things. He did all kinds of miracles. did all kinds of signs. But these have been written down so that you might believe and in believing that Jesus is the Christ, find eternal life. Now if you move forward one chapter to chapter 20, again go to the last couple of verses, chapter, uh, verses 30 and 31 of chapter 20, John says Jesus did an enormous amount of miracles and that if all of them were written down, there would not be enough room in all of the world to hold all of the books that would contain them. Now signs, miracles, these supernatural events that Jesus does in the Gospel of John are theologically incredibly significant. Miracles are important. Now, by chance, do you remember the very last miracle that Jesus performed before the resurrection? 
John chapter 11, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Now what does this event, this, this, this true event, this, this real event in history, the raising of somebody from the dead who's been there for four days, have to do with our faith? Well, I, I want to begin with um, a story. I think it happened about 18 years ago. Uh, not long before my, uh, my mother and father built their house in Fredericksburg, they're driving through Fredericksburg, and uh, they're looking at the land, and it's, they're kind of quiet, and they're kind of tooling around the, the hill country. And uh, my dad just kind of out of the blue, and he was sort of famous for this kind of thing. Everybody's quiet, and out of the blue, my dad would say something kind of uh, funny. He goes, Janet, what is the mortality rate of Fredericksburg, Texas? What do you think? Well, my mom, she's completely caught off guard by this question. And she says, well, JP, I, I don't have a clue. And my dad looks at her and goes, 100%. <laughs> and he's right. Death is a reality that will not go away. Death is a reality that will not go away. Death is a reality that every person faces. And as true as that is, isn't it also true that most people spend as much time as they can ignoring, expending a lot of energy, ignoring death rather than preparing for it? The reason that we try to ignore it, at least try to ignore it, the reason we try to isolate and quarantine our, our lives from death is because we realize deep down that as technologically advanced as we might be, as smart as we might be, as scientific as we might, might become, and as advanced in, in medical sciences as we might come, there is no remedy. There is, we realize that we are powerless before death. That there is, there is not a remedy. There is not a medicine for it. But what if you knew someone who did? What if you knew someone who did? Now that's what brings us to the story of Lazarus. We know a couple of things about Lazarus. One you may not uh, have really thought about. As you know, Lazarus is a really important person to Jesus. He's a very important person in the story of Jesus. The ironic thing is, as important as he is, never says anything. Lazarus, we have no recorded words of Lazarus. Now, it might be that he had two sisters and couldn't get a word in edgewise, but he doesn't say anything. Now, the other part of this is we know that Lazarus was a pretty good friend of Jesus. And the story is that Lazarus is from Bethany. It's this little town, a little village that's on the other side of the, the Mount of Olives across the Kidron Valley from Jerusalem. There on the, on the east side. It is a small little place and Martha and Mary and Lazarus live there. And one day Lazarus becomes very, very terribly ill. Ill unto death. And the sisters know that he's very, very ill, that he's very, very sick, and so they send word to Jesus. And Jesus gets that word, and he turns to his disciples, and he says, you know what, I think we need to go back to Judea. And the disciples had just come from a place where it's very dangerous down there in Jerusalem with the Pharisees and religious leaders trying to kill Jesus, and they look at him a little askance, and they go, you know, if we go back to Judea, we're, we're playing right into their hands. If we go, they just tried to kill you. Did you forget that? And Jesus says, we're going to go back. And they finally make it back to Bethany, but alas, Lazarus has died. And not only has he died, but he's been in the tomb for four days. And Martha hears that Jesus and his entourage is coming down the path, so she runs outside of Bethany to this place where Jesus is coming into the vicinity, and she goes out to meet him, and she doesn't say in this honor society that's driven by hospitality, 
and, and driven by preparing food for other people. And as you know, in Luke uh, chapter 10, that's precisely what she does for Jesus when He comes into her house. She runs out to meet Him and she says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's a very challenging moment. She has a lot of faith. She puts a lot of stock in the presence of Jesus. She doesn't understand it completely, but she, she understands that there's something special about Jesus. And Jesus says to her, hey, your brother will rise again. To her, it kind of sounds like something you say when you don't know what to say. And so she says, I, I know, I know, I know, I know that He will rise again, the final resurrection, on the last day. But she doesn't understand what Jesus is really getting at. And beginning in verse 25, Jesus says something that is profoundly important, not only for Martha and for Mary, but for us. And He says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in Me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in Me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Now for those of us who would rather ignore death than prepare for it because of the powerlessness that we sense before it, do we hear what it is that Jesus is offering in those words? John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. This is a reality in Jesus that there is life and power in the Word of Jesus. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus raises this little girl that has just died. Over in Luke chapter 7, there's this widow from Nain who's lost her only son, the son that's going to take care of her. And during the middle of that procession, Jesus stops the procession and raises that son of that widow to life again. All of the Gospels talk about the fact that Jesus was tortured and that He was mocked and that He was flogged, and that He was beat up, and then He was crucified brutally and cruelly, and that He died on that cross. But three days later, what happens, church? Raises to life everlasting a resurrection. Now, in all of these Gospels, Jesus of Nazareth is the one who has the power over death. But here's the thing. His power over death is not the struggle. It's a reality, but it's not the struggle. You know what the point is? Do you believe this? Do you believe it? Jesus has power. His Word has the power over death. When He speaks, death has to listen. He is the one that is offering resurrection and life. Believe in Him. You will never die. Do you believe this? You see, the problem with, Mary's, or with Martha is that Martha knew a lot about Jesus. Martha knew a lot about Jesus. She knew that He was different. She knew that had He been there, her brother would not have died. But here's the thing. She knew that Lazarus would be raised in the final resurrection on the last day, but she didn't believe that Jesus could do it on the fourth day. And that's a struggle. And that's a struggle for her. And so Jesus has this stone rolled back and He prays in verse 41 for the benefit of all that, that, that are there that can hear Him, that they might believe that God has sent Jesus. And it's this stark, poignant moment. And I mean, imagine the grief. A brother has died. 
And these sisters are on their own. And the village is turned out because they're, they're a lovely family. Stone is rolled back after four days. People are a little anxious. People are a little nervous about this. She even says, Mary even says, there's going to be an odor. And Jesus looks straight into that black maw of, of, a, of a tomb and He says, Lazarus, come out. And before everybody's eyes, out walks Lazarus, still wrapped in the, in the garments of death. And what Jesus says to him is unbind him and let him go. In Jesus is the reality of life over death. Now, how is it that we conquer death in this life according to Jesus? Well, one of the things that we do is to understand that all men die because of sin. All men die because of sin. That's the reality that we can't escape. The fact that we are powerless before sin that brings the death means that we're going to be conquered by it and there's nothing that we can do about it. That story begins in Genesis chapter 3 with the fall of man. You know the story in Genesis 3, Adam eats this forbidden fruit. He believes the lie that Satan has told him. Satan has, has told him in the form of a certain serpent that, you know, God is not really all that trustworthy. God really doesn't have your best interests at hand. You know, in fact, God cannot really be trusted to even tell you the truth. You eat this piece of fruit, you're not going to die. For God knows that you will be like a God. And this fruit was appealing to Eve and it was appealing to Adam and they ate of it. And although they did not die immediately physically, they did begin to die immediately spiritually. When you read over there in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, one of the things that Paul lets us in on in kind of this spiritual anthropology is that God has made us to be not just body and soul, but body, soul, and spirit. And with this sin of disobedience, Adam begins to die spiritually in his capacity to relate to God. And because he can no longer relate to God spiritually, the impact of that, there's this wave of decay that begins to devastate human beings. I mean, think about it this way. You have out in, in, in the middle of a block, you have this three-story building. And one day, a, a wrecking ball, the crane with the wrecking ball shows up and it swings back and forth and back and forth and finally it's got enough momentum and that wrecking ball completely wipes clean that third top story off of that building. It no longer exists. It's no longer there. But in so doing, it has damaged the second story so badly that eventually it's going to implode on itself and completely crush that first story. Now that's what happened in Genesis chapter 3. When we began to be devastated by the fact that we did not have the capacity to relate to God spiritually anymore, then that began to, 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 to run its course through every part of our being to the point that we who were meant to live forever die. And that's what happened to us. And so Paul says in Romans 5 that just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death comes to all people because all have what? Sin. Drop down to Ephesians chapter 2 and beginning in verse 1. You were dead in your transgressions in sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air the Spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Now, here's the thing. All men are equally dead. There is no half death and half alive. I mean, we are all dead, according to Paul, because of these 
transgressions and these sins in which we live, we are all dead because all of that is a reality to us. The problem is, is that we do not usually easily see this death and this decay all around us. Why? Well, we don't see it for the very same reason that a fish doesn't see water. We are so surrounded by death and we are so surrounded by deadness and decay that it's begun to feel normal. And it's in the presence of death all around and the presence of devastation that it brings to all human beings that causes Jesus to cry, uh, the Christ to cry at the tomb of Lazarus. I mean, he's, he knows he's going to raise him up. He knows that this death is not going to end at least his... His, uh, the, the death that Lazarus has died four days earlier is not going to, to, to continue on for a period of time. He's going to be raised up from the dead. But he cries anyway. Why does he do that? It's because he sees what sin and, and the, 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 the lack of a capacity to relate to God spiritually has done to one of his best friends, somebody that he loves dearly on this planet. He looks upon this, ob this, this human being, this object of beauty, that God has created and sees the impact of that sin in his life and he weeps over it. Even though he knows he's going to raise Lazarus up. All men die because of sin, number two, and we're unable to conquer death on our own. As much as we talk about getting better and we talk about sort of this forward movement of society, which I think is... is, is, is not really a very, a, a very honest depiction of what's happening in any society or any age around the world. We are still dead in our sins and trespasses. We are not getting any better, at least even in this one small remote area. There is no Dr. Frankenstein who can regenerate dead human bodies. And we might try positive mental attitude. That may be one of the ways that we quarantine ourselves and isolate ourselves away from death. We have a positive mental attitude. Your, your, at, your altitude is determined by your attitude. If you can just think it fast enough and positive enough, you can keep away all the bad stuff. That's a lie. You're powerless before it. And better education is not going to conquer death. A more positive environment is not going to conquer death. You want... You know what life needs? Life needs a direct act of God because deadness is all around. Because everyone sins and everyone dies. Because death is, is the reality, what life needs is a direct inter intervention from God, a direct act. It demands a direct act of God. That's why Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, when you were dead in your sins, the uncircumcision of your flesh, God, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. And that's why Jesus alone is the source of eternal life. Jesus alone is the source of eternal life. You know, there's this, this passage. It's a great story at the very beginning of the book of Acts. And Peter and John have healed this lame man at the temple and the Sanhedrin does not like it and they, they're called on the carpet. You know, the Jewish leadership that had crucified Jesus some, some, some months before, upset that people are continuing that ministry in Jesus' name. And here's what Peter has to say about it. He says, Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. 
Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now that's a pretty bold statement. Because there were all kinds of messiahs during that period of time. Before Jesus and after Jesus, all kinds of messiahs. All kinds of messianic moments. That's why when the, the Jesus movement got going, there were those that said, you know what? It's come and it's gone. We'll let this run its course too. It, it means nothing. It, it'll come to nothing. So the question is, why is Peter... What makes Peter so sure that there is no other name? Why is it that there's no other name given under heaven by which mankind must be saved? Well, it starts with this, that Jesus is the Son of God. The Incarnation. Left heaven, did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, but emptied Himself. He became a man, and not just a man, but a servant. And He, he, he suffered death, and not just death, but death on a cross. He is the Son of God, and he, as such, He lived this perfect, sinless life. And because He lived a sinless, perfect life, death has no legal authority over Him. Death only has a legal claim on human beings where sin is present. Christ, therefore, dies as this substitute for us. And when He was raised up by God, it was proof that God was settled in His heart and in His mind that the debt of sin had been cleared up by the perfect life of Jesus. And this is why. That Peter will say, there's no other name. It's when Christ speaks, death listens. And that's why all of the Gospels have these kinds of, of miracles recorded. Again, Mark chapter 5, little girl raised from the dead. Luke chapter, Luke chapter 7, it's the widow of name being raised up, the, uh, the son of the widow of name being raised up from the dead. All, John chapter 11, it's, it's Lazarus being raised from the dead. When Jesus speaks, death listens. And so Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, it's because of his great love for us that God, rich in mercy, has made us what? Say it louder, church. Made us what? Alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. It's by grace you've been saved. And the thing that Jesus says in John chapter 11, and Paul will say all over the New Testament in the letters he writes to the churches, is that any person can receive the gift of life through faith. I mean, this is, this is the story of grace. That's... That's the most important story that the world has ever heard. The, everybody knows that the world is not a perfect place. There's no denying that the world is not a perfect place. There are unspeakable tragedies. There, there are de de depictions in, in all kinds of the different medias and, and, and literatures about how unstoppable and how unspeakable and unthinkable evil and death is in the world. It comes at the most unexpected times. It comes to the most unexpected people at times. It always comes because of that sin, because of that, that, that lack of a capacity, that broken connection spiritually to relate to God. But then here comes one, Jesus of Nazareth, who is God's Son, left heaven to become like one of us. And He lives the life that we should have lived but didn't. And dies the death that we should have died, but won't. And as that substitute, in love and in His perfect holiness, 
blameless and sinless is a substitute for all of us. All of us have received this this execution order. All of us have have received the order to to, to die in our sins. Except one has come and has stepped into the place where we are to die and says, I will do it because of love, because because of my Father, because of mercy, because of compassion, because of the need. Because it's impossible without it. This perfect life will be switched for yours. And Jesus says to Mary and Martha and to everybody in that village in Bethany, do you believe this? Do you believe this? You know, I think that if... You remember those old Coke machines? I, I've given you this illustration before. You remember the old Coke machines where you used to put, you know, 50 cents or a quarter or a dime or whatever? You, you'd put that coin into the machine and you would listen to it rattle around and it would go all the way down into the inside the guts of that machine and then that coin could be accessed and you could get a Coke, right? And you would listen to make sure that the sound went down because if it didn't, you knew that you weren't going to be able to access that Coke machine. If we take what it is that has happened in John chapter 11 and the fact that Jesus has power over death, do we believe this? And like that Coke machine, that truth, like that coin, goes all the way down into the center of us so that it can be accessed, what kind of person is going to be sitting on these pews? I dare say a different kind of individual. When we believe that death is an enemy that is vanquished because of Christ and we don't have to fear it. In fact, as Paul says in Romans chapter 6, he says, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Death is all around us and death is in us. But because Jesus died and was buried, we don't have to be buried. Life eternal. Life eternal. Do you believe this? Does that truth go all the way down to the very center where you can access it? And wherever you go, whatever adversity, whatever turmoil, whatever thing might vex you in this life, knowing that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and you believe this, all the way down to the inside of your bones, you live a life that is courageous, and doesn't drop down into the fetal position the first time that some kind of turmoil or, or adversity or distress raises its head. And that's not to say that you don't feel the fear sometimes or that you get nervous. We're, we're human beings. We're not all that we should be right now, even though we've been in Christ for many, many years. But what it means is that we're not undone by anything in this life because of what Christ has done for us. This morning, you have the opportunity to say before this entire church, I believe this. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who died on the cross to save me from my sins so that His God's Spirit might be put in me, that my sins might be forgiven. I believe that He is the resurrection and life. And I believe that because of my faith in Him, my sins being washed away, making Him my Lord through confession and repentance, that I will live forever with Him beginning 
beginning in that moment. We're going to sing a song right now. Some of our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. If this describes you, describes the desire of your heart, then we want you to come talk to these shepherds as we stand and sing together. I'm pressing.